Thank you, Matthew, Fred, music team, Wade. Thank you for leading us in worship. We are uh, we're working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and the reason that we're doing this is because, uh, as a church, our identity is in Christ, and so in order for us to uh, to know Jesus. Uh, and walk with Jesus, it's good that we remind ourselves uh, of Jesus' story. And so even as, uh, even as we uh, read the passage that I'm going to read today, I want you to even put yourself in the shoes, uh, in, in the place of those who would have been listening to Jesus, right? Our, our goal is to walk with Jesus, and as, and as we walk with Jesus uh, through His life and death and resurrection, to be transformed, to be changed, uh, to reflect uh, Christ in us. And so chapter 12 is where we will be today. Uh, and chapter 12 as a whole talks about where we place our trust, what it is that we rest in. Uh, the first uh, 12 verses of chapter 12 deal with fearing God or fearing man. And while that's a, that's a, that's a really relevant topic and um, and what Jesus says is that when we fear other people, when, when the shifting tides of public opinion are the most important thing to us, when that's where we derive our identity, if that's where we derive our identity from, then we will be hypocrites. We will live a double life. Uh, we will be like those who wear a mask. And so Jesus addresses that first, but the bulk of chapter 12 really hits pretty close to home because it talks about uh, trusting in our wealth versus trusting in our God. Uh, and that is, a, that is a soft spot for many, if not all of us. So um, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 13. If you're using the, uh, the Bible there in the chair, uh, page 871 is where you will find us. Chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, that is, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, 
what you will eat, nor about your body what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask for his help in applying it to our lives. Father in heaven, we don't like being exposed. We don't like having the dark recesses of our hearts, our desires uh, opened up into the light. But Lord, we need that. We need you to do that. And so, God, we pray that you would. Lord, we do pray for our youth uh, who are on retreat this weekend. And we pray for the chaperones who are with them. God, we pray that, that you would be doing the same thing there with them as you are here with us. That you would be uh, opening up their hearts uh, through your word. Exposing uh, the folly of sin to them. And revealing to them the goodness of your grace to us. God, would you do that here? Where we don't, we don't want to be left in darkness. We want you, we need you to bring us into the light so that we would hold fast to you, realizing that you hold fast to us already. So Lord, would you be at work through your word in our hearts? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paige Brown is a uh, she's a Bible teacher. Uh, she is the daughter of a of a pastor. She grew up in Cleveland, Mississippi, and she tells a story of uh, when she was a, a little girl. Her uh, she was home 
uh, by herself in the afternoon. Her mom had gone to a friend's house to uh, to lead a Bible study, and so she was not there. And so uh, Paige uh, headed out to check the mail, walked down the driveway, got the mail out of the mailbox, and as she was making her way back up the driveway, uh, she caught sight of a large brown envelope with a, a clear picture window, and she immediately dropped all of the other uh, all of the other mail to run inside. She she ran inside the house. She picked up the phone. Uh, she she dialed the, the the home where her mom was, uh, and and the lady who uh, who owned the house, Susan Smith, we'll call her. Uh, Susan Miss Smith answers the phone, and 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 Paige says, Miss Smith, will you will you please get my mom? And Susan goes, uh, hey, okay, Paige, is, is everything okay? Is everything right? Yes, just, just get my mom. Tell her to come to the phone right now. Uh, and so, uh, Miss Smith goes and, and gets Paige, mo- Paige's mom and, and brings her to the phone. And she's, of course, as you would be in a, in a panic. Paige, honey, dear, is everything okay? What's wrong? She says, Mom, you can stop praying. We've won two million dollars. You may have gotten one of those envelopes in the mail before. Uh, the promise of two million dollars. Um, of course, you know that that's not really what's in that envelope. Um, but aren't, aren't children so good at unintentionally revealing our hearts? Uh, listen, Listen to those words. You can stop praying. We've won two million dollars. Listen, listen to those, uh, to the assumptions there. What that, what that reveals about our, uh, how we view God, how we view our wealth. Really, right? A couple of things. Security is found in having wealth. And the more that you have, the better off you are. And, and maybe we wouldn't say it out loud, but we probably believe that if I have enough, I really don't need God. That's what, that's what Paige was saying. So she told her mom, stop praying. You don't have to ask him for anything else. We're good. And even if you wouldn't say that out loud, you probably feel that at some deep down level. That if I just have enough, I really don't need God. Which means that God really exists for me. He exists to give me what I want. He serves me. I don't serve Him. He's at my beck and call. He's there to make me happy. Now, that last sentence is true. He is there to make you happy, but not happy maybe in the way that we often think. Jesus talks about money more than any other topic. Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven or hell. Why do you think that is? Maybe it's because Jesus knows just how sensitive an issue this is for us. Maybe it's because Jesus knows how deeply we trust in our wealth to make us happy and to bring us peace. 
which ironically, it never does. In fact, as we just read, it tends to create more anxiety, not less. It doesn't bring us peace, it actually brings us worry. It doesn't bring us happiness, it often brings us dissatisfaction, right? Wealth is a cracked cup that always needs filling. There's never enough. So how does Jesus help us? How does Jesus help us when it comes to the relationship between us, God, and our wealth, and our money? Here's, here's the main sentiment that Jesus is teaching, uh, that true security is only found in trusting God. True security is only found in trusting God. Now, that right there could go on a really pretty calendar or a, or a Hallmark frame, right? That, that sentence said may not mean a whole lot to us, which is why I think Jesus spends so much time here. Because we can say that, right? If I, if I asked any of you in the room, hey, would you rather have God or your house? Everybody would probably be like, well, God, of course. But if I asked you instead, if you were, if you were to pray the prayer, which by the way, I wouldn't, I don't think I would pray this prayer. I'm not there yet. If you were to pray the prayer, God, take away everything but yourself. What would be the first thing up on the list? Or the second thing? Or the third thing? Right? Why does that why would that prayer scare you to death? Because there are things we don't want to lose. And what that tells us is that we really aren't fully trusting in Christ alone. We really don't believe that He is our inheritance and that we have access to the riches of His kingdom. And so, so this, is a, this is really a two-part sermon uh, I know there's three on the, the screen. Should be three. Yeah, there's three on the screen. But it's really, it's really a two-parter. That what Jesus is doing is first he's showing us just how, how jacked up it is that we're attached to the, the material things and what that does in our lives. But then he also shows us how we can detach from that. Right? How we can, how we can begin to loosen that kind of white knuckle grip on our stuff. All right, so first, let's, let's look at this, uh, this point, guard against greed. This whole topic begins with a request from the crowd. Uh, Jesus is, uh, Jesus is teaching a, a large group, uh, of people, and this guy shoots his hand up, and he says, Hey Jesus, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. This, this guy lacks what we would call social awareness, right? Clearly, like, you wanna, like, you think his friends next to him are like, hey buddy, not the time. Not the time. Right? But he's like, no, this is important right now. And I love Jesus' single-minded focus. He says no. Right? He says, that's not what I've come to do. I'm not here to sort out, I'm not here to sort out that issue. But then he uses that to address what's underneath the request, right? He basically tell, he's basically telling the guy like, hey, um, your problem is not that you don't have enough of the inheritance. Your problem is, is greed. Uh, and it's not just your problem, it's everybody's problem. So let's talk about it, right? He says, uh, 
He says no, but then underneath that request, he says, be on guard against, watch out for covetousness or greed, your translation may say, right? And, and covetousness or greed, we could define as that unquenchable desire to have more, to always have more. Now, most of us probably wouldn't say, I'm a greedy person. Right, greed is one of those sins. Um, as uh, as as one as one pastor pointed out, and I would and I would agree. Um, I I can't tell you the last time someone came into my office and said, "Kevin, I'm really struggling with greed. I've gotten anger, I've gotten lust, I've gotten pride, but nobody ever seems to think they have a greed problem." Right? Okay, that usually belongs to someone else. Other people are greedy. I'm just fine. Right? Um, but, how often have I said, if I could just get a raise, then everything would be better. If we just had a house on the lake, we'd finally be happy. We'd be satisfied. If I just had a bigger house, if I just had a boat... If I just had that guy's job, right? Have you ever looked at what someone else has and thought, my life would be better if I was them? That's covetousness. That's greed. And to make the point, Jesus tells us a parable about a rich man, a landowner, and he's got a problem. Now, I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't say he's a bad guy. He's not a bad man. He doesn't seem to be an unjust man. He's probably a hard worker. He is a wealthy man, and it's been a good year. His land has produced a bumper crop. And so, that leaves him with a problem. His land, that he's worked has produced all this crop, but he has nowhere to put it. His, his current uh, storehouses are full. So he's got to make some plans. He's got to decide what I'm going to do with this. This is, a, this is a situation that any one of us could be in. Okay? This is a situation any one of us could be in, but I want you to listen again to the conversation that he has with himself. Listen again to the conversation he has with himself and... Particular, particularly listen to the words that are repeated. If you ever, just that kind of Bible reading 101, uh, if you're ever reading a passage and you're trying, trying to figure out, man, what is that, what is this about? Look for repeated words. Look for repeated words. The author's giving you a hunt. Um, verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Who's this guy thinking about? Himself. Right? Um, all the eyes, all the me's, this man is consumed with himself, right? He's the center of his universe. Notice too, uh, if you back up a verse, it's the land that produced plentifully. 
It doesn't say the rich man made his land produce plentifully. The land produced plentifully. Now, he probably worked it. But as any farmer will tell you, a farmer's work is only a part of the equation. You do the best you can do, but if you don't have rain... You do the best you can do, but if you don't have the right number of chill hours, warm hours, yada, yada, like all of those things that we have no control over, right? Um, so this man is taking all the credit. These are his crops, his barns, his goods. And his plan sounds like, you know, the standard American dream. This is, this is a retirement brochure. You've done your part. Now get away. Eat, drink, be merry. Right? I mean, that, is that not culturally what we expect to do? Like, I'm going to work up until a point, and then, man, it's just time to chill. Right? Eat, drink, be merry. That's the dream that we chase. But what does God do? He confronts him with just how short-sighted he is. He calls him a fool. Well, that's not very nice. Fool. That's an important Bible word. It, it means someone who lives their life without reference to God. That's a fool. And this man is a fool. And his soul is required of him. And so, uh, he might have said, my soul, but God is the one who owns that soul. And by the way, everything else that the man referred to is his. Uh, and it's time for the soul to come back to the one who owns it. And no amount of grain or goods will pay that debt. Tonight your soul is required of you. And Jesus says, this is how it goes for those who lay up treasure for themselves, but are not rich towards God. That our attachment to our wealth can actually damn us. Do we believe that? Now, on the whole, we are not a wealthy church. Um, on average, uh, we're probably middle to lower, right? Uh, in terms of economic uh, net worth, whatever all that stuff is, right? We're not, we would not be a wealthy church. We are not, by and large, wealthy people. So, you could be thinking, I'm not rich. So, thankfully, that's not my problem. As Lee Corso says, not so fast. Game day, anybody? Um, greed is an equal opportunity offender. Whether you have a lot or you have a little, you can still be greedy. You can still be covetousness, right? With, uh, greed can grip your heart whether you have no bank account and live paycheck to paycheck or or if you have eight bank accounts, two investment accounts, and a financial advisor to help you track it all. Greed can still grip your heart. Because you can still be looking to possessions to make you whole and happy. So this is not simply a malady for the rich. And greed can grip your heart whether you're religious or non-religious. There are plenty of people who who do their duty and pay their tithe, but they are not rich towards God. Their understanding of money 
uh, is not this, right? They're still gripped by, uh, by their greed, by their covetousness. So that begs the question. If Jesus says, life does not consist in what you have, uh, that, that living is more than having, then how do I become rich towards God? How do I, how do I make that shift? And it comes in this next section uh, where Jesus talks about worry uh, and he tells us to seek God's kingdom. Now, um, if you look at verse 22, so Jesus goes from talking to the crowd and he turns to his disciples, his, his followers there. And he starts off by saying, therefore, because of what I just said, don't be anxious about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. So the, so the first thing that Jesus says about, uh, being rich towards God is realizing, um, that, that we have an unnatural attachment, or actually it's, sadly it's a natural attachment. We need a supernatural detachment, right? But we have this natural attachment to our stuff. And one of the things that that causes in us is worry. In fact, worry is the result of misplaced priorities. That the reason that we worry is because we have our eyes on the wrong finish line. We are, we have set our hearts in the wrong place. I'm seeking the wrong things. Now, I want to point out that when Jesus says, listen, don't worry so much about what you're to eat or what you're to drink. Don't seek these things. He's not saying you don't need them. He's not saying that you don't need to work for them, right? He uses the example of the raven. He's, he says, look, look at the ravens. Look at that nasty bird that no one likes. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't use like the noble eagle or the beautiful blue jay? He looks at the, you know, he looks at the raven. Uh, and he says, they get fed, but he doesn't put the worm in their mouths, Right. So they, they still work for their food, but he takes care of them, makes sure he makes sure that they have food. So Jesus is not saying don't work. He's not saying don't make plans. He's not saying make a vow of poverty. Right. But he is saying something. He's saying something much deeper. He's saying, don't be so anxious about it. Don't worry so much about it. Now. How does Jesus reorient us, right? If we're, if we're wrapped around the axle this way, right? We're so bound up in all of that. How does Jesus begin to unbind us? How does he, how does he begin to loosen that grip? And he does a couple of different things. I also want to point out, Jesus is not a stoic. He doesn't, he doesn't just simply say, hey guys, don't worry, you'll be fine. He doesn't say, don't worry, be happy. He doesn't say, uh, Hakuna Matata. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't say, think happy thoughts. He gives us real, concrete, tangible answers, and he does it by pointing to God's character. The first thing he does is he says, you don't have to worry because your father will take care of you. Your father is in control and he will give you what you need. Look at the ravens. They get fed, and you're a whole lot more valuable than a nasty bird. Jesus doesn't call them nasty. I call them nasty. You're going to think, man, what does he have against ravens? 
He's got is- he's got issues. Um, look at the ravens. They get fed, and you're more valuable than them. Uh, look at the lilies. They're beautiful, and they don't spin their own beauty. Look at the grass. It's here today and then burned in the oven tomorrow. And yet God clothes them beautifully. Will He not take care of you? Why are you so consumed with these things? Your Father will take care of you. He also says, your Father is in charge. Verses 25 and 26. He says, how many of you by worrying can add one hour to your life? How many of you by worrying will actually make your life longer? Medical science would probably tell us now that we actually make our lives shorter by worrying, right? And Jesus says, if you can't even do that, if you can't even do such a small thing as adding an hour to your life, then why are you worried about all the rest? Worry doesn't help. It doesn't do you any good. Your father is in charge. And so, if I'm anxious... If I'm worried, it's a good indication that I'm placing my trust in something other than Jesus. If I've lost sight of who I belong to, Jesus says that I'm, I'm acting like those who don't have a kind and generous father, right? He says, he says, don't seek, uh, food and drink or be worried. This is what the nations of the world do. This is what, this is what people do who have no God. These are the things they worry about. But you belong to a good and generous Father. So, so relax. Be at peace. But the main way that God gives us an antidote to worry comes in verse 31. He says, Instead, so instead of being worried and bound up with your possessions, Jesus says, instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying, move your priority from this, whatever it is that you're worried about, move your priority from that to God's kingdom. Seek God's kingdom, and you know what? All the stuff that you need will be added to you. You'll have it. Everything that you need, if you seek God's kingdom, everything that you need will be added to you and you won't have to worry about it. How hard is that to believe? Why? Because I can't tangibly see God's kingdom. I can see my clothes. I can taste my food. I can go into my house. And so, right, I'm, I'm worried that those things will be taken away because it's what I can see and taste and touch. And what I need is to believe that the kingdom, that which I cannot see, is actually more real than what I can. Jesus says in, uh, in Matthew 6, and he references it here, store up your treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you want a good indication of what it is you love the most, 
Just, just take a look and see what it is you spend the most money on. Right? Our treasure reveals our hearts. And Jesus says, if you'll store up treasure in heaven, that'll be where your desire goes. If you seek God's priorities instead of your own, instead of seeking possession, possessions, seek God's kingdom, everything you have will be added to you. You will be rich towards God. So the way that we become rich towards God is we realize that God offers us something, God offers us something that will not perish. It will not go away. A recession won't take away treasure in heaven. Thieves will not steal, cannot steal treasure in heaven. The environment will not destroy treasures in heaven. That is more real than what we so often cling to. Uh, one writer, whose name I now forget, he writes a book called An Act of Grace, which is about the Bible and money. He uses the illustration of uh, a Confederate soldier uh, retreating from uh, wounded and leaving the Battle of Gettysburg. And on his way, he passes a Union soldier who's died uh, and he finds on him some U.S. dollars, which he takes, uh, and he has a choice to make. Does he trade those, those dollars in for Confederate money in the hopes that the South will rise again? Or does he hold on to those dollars realizing that the decisive battle has been won uh, and that Confederate money will not be good for much longer. That's the choice that we have to make when it comes to our wealth. Will we continue to cling to the things of this earth that are passing away, that belong to a kingdom that will die, to a way of life that is going away? Will we cling to that in hopes that it will get better? Or do we let go of that and hold fast to what will last forever. Because the, the decisive victory has already been won at Calvary. Because of what Jesus has accomplished at the cross, we can begin to let go of the things right that we won't need in heaven. And that maybe not always is money. I remember uh, in seminary going into a bookstore, uh, going into the seminary bookstore and... Um, they want you to buy every book you need, and I realized by that point that uh, every book I need was a lot of money, uh, and I wasn't going to read most of the books. And so I was trying to, I was trying to quiz the bookstore owner, like, no, but what do I just need? Like, what do I need to get by? And I'm going to leave the rest. You know, I don't, I don't need all these books. And he says, hey man, it's just money. You can't take it with you. To which I responded, hey man, they're just books. You can't take them either. Um. And notice, and notice what that does. When, if we, if we understand what Jesus has done for us, and that begins to unwrap us from the axle, right? We get unbound from our wealth. Notice what Jesus says next in verse 32. He talks about giving generously. He says, fear not. And that's what we need to hear. The reason we can't let go is because we're afraid. We're afraid that if we let go, we won't have it. We won't have what we need. We're going to be left without it. Our problem is a fear problem. Jesus says, fear not, little flock. 
It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now we need to, for many of us, we need to stop right there. Because for many of us, we don't really even believe that God is pleased about anything. We don't, we don't believe, we, we, we see God, right, I'm the, I'm the horse on the buggy and He's in the driver's seat just whipping my back. Right? Get it done, get it done, get it done, get it done. And if I collapse on the side of the road, He just sighs in disappointment. That's probably how you see God. Well, I won't say probably, that may be how you see God. So you need to hear Jesus saying, God, your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. It delights Him to give you the kingdom. He is happy to do it. Therefore, sell your possessions and give to the needy. And in doing that, you provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. How does that become me? How do I become generous in the way that I approach my wealth, uh, giving to others, giving to the kingdom, giving to church? How does that how does that transform? Typically, the way I think we approach this is we say, "Okay, the preacher's talking about money again. I probably should put something in the plate." That's not what Jesus says. Look, look at how the promise comes before the command. Fear not. Your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. You have a gift. If you are in Christ, you have a gift that cannot go away. You have more than you could possibly imagine. So you're free. You're free to sell it. To give it away. You can't run out. If I told you that that your bank account would never run dry, would you stop for a second when someone asked for a bite to eat? Or Or a coat for the cold weather? Would you stop for a second when the plate came by? If I told you your account could never run out, would you, would, would you even check up? Would you have to look at the balance? Or would you feel free to give? That's exactly what Jesus says. He says, you're free. Everything that you need will be provided for you. So don't be afraid to give generously to others. Don't be afraid to love and serve those who are in need. That's, that's how we change. That's the, that's the reversal. That's the reversal that we need to experience, right? What Jesus is saying that our wealth doesn't actually exist to satisfy us. That's not why, that's not why, uh, that's not why God gives us wealth. That's not why God gives us work skills. That's not why we work hard. We don't work hard to satisfy ourselves. Jesus says our wealth is given to us for the good of other people. Our wealth is given to us. Our abilities are given to us. Our time is given to us so that we can build the kingdom. God's kingdom. Excuse me. So that we can participate in God's building of His kingdom. So we can be all about the gospel. 
That's why God gives, so that we would give in return. Where your treasure is, is where your heart is. You ever think about what Jesus' treasure is? What is it that what is it that has his heart? Listen to uh, Peter in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his light. What did Jesus spend his life for? He spent his life for you. And for me. So that we could be His possession. So that we could belong to Him. God has gripped you in His never failing love. And He will not let you go. Jesus has bought you. And that means that we no longer have to grip our earthly treasures. If God has gripped your heart then you can begin to release your grip on earthly treasure and instead give it away for His glory and for the good of your neighbors. Let's pray. Father, I confess that I don't believe everything I just preached. Not deep down... I confess that I am one of little faith, unbelief, that I lack the trust in You necessary to do what You command. And so I fall on Your mercy and pray that You would make it so. That we as a people... would turn away from our idolatry. It's what Paul calls it. Covetousness is idolatry. That as the author to the Hebrews says, that we would be content because you care. Because you have us in the palm of your hand. Because we are valuable to you, you will not leave us, you will not forsake us, and so we're free. Free to live generously. Free to live generously with our money, with our time, with our talents, with our words, with our actions. We could not buy goodness if we tried. Help us to rely on You to find our true security and rest in You. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship God through the giving of our gifts.